Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn with Focus Compounding, on air live with Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great with everybody else as well. If this is the first time you're tuning in with us, thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to check out all of our content that we push out into the investing universe. The best way to do that is to follow me on X at at Focused Compound. Uh, go to FocusedCompound.com to get access to investment write-ups from Jeff going all the way back to 2005. Uh, and be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening or watching us here today. So you will be notified every time we upload a new podcast. So in today's podcast, Jeff, we are going to speak about uh, electric vehicles and specifically okay. the market of electric vehicles from a macro perspective on our podcast at the end of 2023, when you made predictions for 2024, you had said you had thought that uh, it would be a bad year for the box office and mm -hmm. that it would be a bad year for electric vehicles. Uh, interestingly, we are recording this on January 25th and Tesla reported earnings yesterday after the close and they actually gave an outlook on uh, volume for Teslas, and they had said that they expected to be uh, down, uh, notably lower than the growth rate achieved in 2023. Um, a couple weeks ago, Hertz came out and announced that they were selling 20,000 electric vehicles. That was very important, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Of that, it looks like 607 are actual Teslas. You know, I think it was 2021. Model three Teslas were going for like seventy grand, sixty or seventy thousand dollars. You just couldn't find them anywhere. Um and uh yeah, so things have really come back down to earth. Want to get your opinion on the electric vehicle market, lithium in general. I really love these macro backdrops where there's a supply shortage. Uh an example mm -hmm. of that that we spoke about on the podcast, uh oranges. We did work on Aloco. Yep. Uh our takeaway was that you know uh citrus greening is a issue for orange producers uh, there's competition internationally farming is a tough business it requires a lot of capital and know-how it's a generational business you don't hear a lot of people uh say their their aspirations is to go into uh, producing orange groves and um everything that you know we sort of thought was wow it's going to be tough for supply of oranges and we didn't, you know, do too much. We were doing work on Alico. Um, but then from there, like the price of oranges, like futures, orange juice yeah. futures went up like a couple of times. Uh, so right. I, I love these backdrops where there's a supply shortage and the people on the other side could be price takers. Uh, they don't really care. I think you're actually seeing that a lot in the uranium market, um, which mm. we don't really have to get into that here today. But it's just fascinating because you get these uh, forced majeure situations, if I pronounce that correctly, where it's just, you know, prices only have one direction to go, which is up uh, when there's demand for something and there is a lack of supply. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, like in the orange situation, I mean, from start to finish, it could take years, right, to get that production to come back online. So mm -hmm. that strategy is something that is interesting to me. And I love that as like a backdrop. But Let's talk about electric vehicles, Jeff. Lithium, people put that lithium lithium in that same bucket, that there's going to be a, a, a shortage of that as well. 
Um, but want to get your thoughts on electric vehicles. We don't need to talk about Tesla specifically, although we can. Uh, Elon has said that uh, Chinese EV makers will pretty much demolish most competitors without trade barriers, uh, like also in the United mm -hmm. States. So just want to hear your thoughts. seems like everyone's in the electric vehicle market. Most of the uh, other car makers have transitioned or pivoted to EVs. And we're in that wave where, you know, first it was you're the first one. Now there's a bunch of capital coming after it. And now you're in that process of the cycle where it seems like there's oversupply. So I want to hear your thoughts yeah. on that. So we did a podcast with Jacob McDonough about um, General Motors. And so you get some yep. idea there about people were wondering whether cars were a toy for the rich initially or whether they really spread to everybody buying these things. And um, even when there was good sales of cars for a while, when there was a recession and everything, because they've been growing production so rapidly, even though it was being adopted more and more by people, there's still cyclical things that happen. And the pace of expansion that companies have been on had been too rapid. And so you had a really terrible car market. And that's what I'm saying will happen with EVs. Um, so if you look the last few years, it seems to me that despite what they've been saying, all these car companies, they all have knowingly been growing EV production much faster than demand by any measure underlying it seems to be. So they've pushed EVs even though the market seems to want hybrids. And they've said, no, we're not doing hybrids, we're doing EVs. Hybrids have held up remarkably well as market share and stuff versus EVs even when people are making money with hybrids and losing money with EVs. If you look at days of sales, um, in terms of how long it's taking to sell things in inventory at dealerships, um, EVs were building up much faster than other kinds of cars. And that's with them having inappropriate prices versus what they actually cost to produce. So you have an incorrect price on it. The consumer is being subsidized to say, buy this at a price that doesn't make money for the producer. Even when you do that, the dealer then has to subsidize it by holding it longer than a normal car gets held. So they're subsidizing it. They're taking a hit on it. And then you're still seeing that consumers don't want to buy it at that rate. Um, and there's things in polls and hurt stuff that I think is very damaging in terms of what it shows. So one is that polls showed a big drop-off from early 2020s to last year or two in terms of the number of people who say, they will eventually buy an EV. Like, do you think you'll ever end up buying an electric vehicle or something? And it had gotten really high and then it dropped back to levels that it was at a few years earlier. Um, so that combined with what you saw with the Hertz thing, right? So the Hertz thing, obviously they're selling those cars because people aren't using them to rent them. Uh, they don't want to pick them. The argument is it's about range. It's about charging stations. It's about infrastructure. None of those apply to rental cars if you were interested in renting a car because you want to test it because you're excited about that kind of car and you might want to buy it one day, this is your chance to trial it. You'll use it as an, um, when you get a rent a car, it's like a loaner car from a dealership. Even if you have all these concerns about it, if the dealer says, I'll give you a loaner car, that's a class up from the car you already have. I know you don't want to pay for it and you don't want to buy that car, but let me just let you experience it. They're saying that because they want to sell you the car eventually. But a lot of people will say, well, okay, fine. It doesn't I'll take the loaner car. I'm not going to buy it. Now they might be convinced to buy it eventually. And that's why the dealer will do it. But they think in their own mind, I have the willpower. I won't do this. So they take the car. Um, same thing here. If that was really your concern about all that charging and stuff, 
well, then you would take these rentals aren't very long usually. So why aren't people taking it? There's it's the brand positioning and stuff. There's no shine to it. It's not a new thing anymore. Um, I think they probably exhausted many of the people who were interested initially. That's my guess being in places like Dallas, Tampa, and then being in places that are more rural in States. It doesn't have the same appeal. And I don't know that it will ever have the same appeal in other parts of the country. And so if that's true, then you have actually eaten through a lot of your early adopting demand in places like California. Um, and it won't play as well in other parts of the country. And so if you're doing that, you've saturated much more than you might think. And that will become obvious when there's a lot of used cars on the market, you know? So that's the problem. Unless everyone in places like California and stuff want two for every household, they don't want any non EV cars. It becomes a problem because then there'll be lots of cars in the, the used market and everything. And so I just see all the signs for the underlying consumer appetite to be very weak and they're pushing ahead, ignoring those. And I don't know if they're ignoring them in public or they don't agree and don't see those signs as very alarming, um, that they're chewing through a lot of demand. Um, it's something we talk about with like, it's a big issue with like, uh, say when there's new mattress company thing or something, right. When there was first memory foam or air mattress things or whatever, and they're popular and people like them, but then you have to think, okay, how many people will eventually buy these? They last a long time. No one who bought it this Christmas needs it next Christmas. They're going to last eight years or something. So unless I think everyone's going to use these mattresses, um, I'm realizing that I'm selling a lot of a durable product, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So it's not an immediately consumed thing. It still exists in the market and it's out there for a long time. So that's my concern. That doesn't mean that it won't go up over time. Still can. And certainly what we've always said with these is, look, government policy, if it's good for governments and to hit targets with um, carbon stuff and that's what they want to do, they can make everything EV eventually themselves by adopting laws to do that and by paying to do that. Um, but it's sort of like then it's like a defense contractor. Yeah, if they want to buy X number of something, the government will do it, but it doesn't depend on adoption by the public. Um, what I see here is just a disregard by producers for the underlying dynamics that they're seeing the most leading signs about what demand is and light is likely to be. Um, and that will cause some interesting things that people haven't thought about, I think, because we haven't seen it since the early days of cars. People in the United States and other places that are major markets for cars for a long time aren't used to way too many choices and then models being abandoned very rapidly. So you'll buy a car from someone that will come out with an all new thing. I don't want to say what name, but it will be a GM or a Ford or a Kia or whatever, something or other. We'll have a nice name to it. We'll have ads. It will run for one year and then it will disappear and they'll never make any more of them. And you'll own one of the 90,000 or whatever of those that were made. Um, in the early days of cars, people were used to that, that there were standard things. And then there were all these different ones that got put out there and then disappeared. And it'll be interesting to see what people think about it when they have those less supported um, vehicles and less well-known and what it means. You know, the aftermarket for it won't be the same as for Tesla's most private models, nor for, it, you know, with cars that are internal combustion stuff, people are used to, okay, I know exactly what a Corolla is or whatever for all these years. Here you're going to have a lot of oddities that people are going to have bought. 
because um, they won't last that long. Some of them will last a year, some of them will last three years, some of whatever, but we're going to see an explosion of a lot of choices, and then you're going to have to see that shrink down a lot. So a lot of things will be discontinued. Is that a temporary thing, or do you think that's actually like we're at that part in the cycle? So it depends. Um, if it isn't a temporary thing, it's likely because they're ignoring customer demand for stuff. Um, why you wouldn't do that is because that doesn't make a lot of economic sense. But offering a lot of choices and stuff does make a lot of sense if you're not too worried about the economics of it. Um, by most measures that I can look at it last five, six years, there's not great... We don't have exact numbers on cost, but we do have exact numbers on pricing. And there's not great comparison on like how pricing of EVs has been versus pricing of um, hybrids and other cars. Um, and then demand increases for them. Yes, they did leap in terms of the number of market share and stuff, but a lot of that is mathematically from leaping from nothing, and then just you produce them. It mm. doesn't, you know, you have to start worrying, okay, well, the other ones were sold at profits. You sold this at a loss. Yes, it octupled or whatever from the base that it was at, but it did that off a base of almost nothing. If you just do raw numbers of how many additional cars you sold how much additional market share you captured versus hybrid or something. It isn't that much more and it's at a loss. Whereas there were a gain or something, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's a strategy thing. Like, you know, in consoles, something like Sony or Microsoft might intentionally sell consoles at a loss on the expectation that royalties on the games will make them back their money. And Nintendo might think that they'll only willing to sell it if they break even or make a little money on the hardware, you know? Um, but it's important because, having the lowest price product isn't the same as having the lowest cost. Um, you know, so what consumers are seeing is price competitive, but for the producer, it's not price competitive at these volume levels. The producer loses money on one more than they do on the other. How does this affect car dealerships? Mm. Um, it, one will strain relations between the dealers and the manufacturers and might be the one might be one of the reasons why the manufacturers will change things because the shareholders for manufacturers, I think right now will be more forgiving for, because they're all publicly traded companies and stuff of we're growing our EV stuff. Even if it doesn't make sense, dealers won't want to just take inventory that doesn't sell. So if it hurts your dealer relations and stuff, I think that actually is where they'll feel pressure more that you mm -hmm. have to stop this um, is my expectation. Because I think the market will be more accepting of that. It's hard to say. I mean, there is an article on CNBC written about the CEO of GM, which is a pretty positive article about that. Um, and the record for GM is not good during her tenure. Um, but there's no expectation that she'll be pushed out and stuff. Um, and, you know, it's a very mediocre record. Um and many of the things that she's pushing for are things that I don't know if they'll pay off or they won't pay off. But it's a very good story that she tells and that the market, I think, still likes to some extent. But the multiples on the stock and stuff are lousy. Mm -hmm. So, But you can last with that longer. I mean, shareholders are in these kinds of stocks are a very diffuse group, very passive group. You know, there was an activist in this at one time. Um, but dealers will be more vocal. So it I don't think like that like the days of nowhere. Sale. Yeah. I don't think that like the days of sales stuff will be accepted 
that, you know, they won't put up with that the same way that shareholders will put up with a stock that goes nowhere. Um, they'll say, you've got to figure out something to do that. We're not going to have, um, electric vehicles that sit on our lots for twice as long. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not comparable for Tesla cause you can't do it. Cause Tesla does this thing with deliveries and stuff and it's impossible. I've tried for years ago. You can see it blew out a long time ago that they have been taking very, very little money compared to what they've been producing, but we don't know what that means. I mean, so they don't have much money in hand for what they're like selling. So they're not, it, that would seem to suggest they don't have strong booking of it to deliver stuff, you know, like inven- relative to inventory, inventory grew much faster, but that could just be that they've kind of given up on the idea of really insisting on that as a way, uh, as a hard way of booking things that basically they're just going to require very little down and not worry about it. Um, in which case we don't have any insight into it, what that means. Um, but in the earlier days, you could measure it a little bit from year to year, and you can see that inventory grew rapidly while the actual amount of money put down to um, buy these cars, you know? So this would be like deferred revenue stuff that they have float from it um, hadn't gone up. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. So GM, I was looking, the price of sales was 0.3, Ford on the screen right now, uh, 0.3, and then you look at uh, Tesla, and it's. Uh, 6.9. So let's say seven yep. times price of sales. Um, crazy. So it's mean, logical to people. You... That's what you want to achieve then is switch your sales to EV sales. Uh-huh. I really wonder, right. it'd be interesting to do a case study on the amount of companies that have pivoted for the sake of Wall Street was rewarding, um, you know, mm-hmm. via a multiple to go to that business. So like, obviously I'm thinking about like, um, you know, streaming services or, you know, uh, studios going to streaming services like Disney mm-hmm. doing all that sort of stuff just because that's what Wall Street was paying for in 2020, 2021. Uh, and then really like what the long-term results are of that pivot, right? So almost pivoting purely for financial engineering reasons as opposed to, yeah, this makes sense. Um, and then like what were the long-term ramifications of that decision, you know? Uh, do any mm-hmm. of that anything come to mind when you you think about something like that, other than like yeah. you know, streaming and now EVs and stuff like that? Yeah, one is just to read like um, built to last or whatever and good to great. Um, a huge difference here is Tesla. Like this is what I think with the investing stuff can get overlooked, right? If we really think about it, what streamer has actually had success and made money? Forget about stock prices, but actually demonstrated that they could generate cash and make some money at some point. Now, it wasn't good right away, but eventually they did it and it was a success. It's Netflix, nothing Mm -hmm. else. And Netflix did start as a DVD by mail, not a streaming service, but it never had stores or anything. It was completely different from all the others, right? It was never a studio, completely different. From scratch, Netflix was always imagining this. It called itself Netflix for that reason. Tesla always was trying to make electric cars like this. It is the one U.S. company, at least, that is the only one that shows good results in this thing. Everyone else is a speculation by shareholders of other companies, by investors, by hedge funds, that you can be the next Netflix or you could be the next Tesla. But there's no evidence that anyone's ever achieved it. And most of the capital in the industry is chasing after something that was built from scratch to look like this mm-hmm. and not a pivot. Um so and look how much Netflix business, how much their business has changed as well. Now they're talking about doing ads, right? They said they would never do that. 
they said they would never do sports things. I saw something earlier this week saying that they're going to yeah. potentially do stuff with sports on Netflix. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. Yeah. So Ford and GM, of course, GM in the early day, Ford was, had leads in everything in the United States yep. and GM passed them and didn't look back. Um, Ford didn't pivot to look like GM. So it had a model that for its original part of the, um, the early days of mass adoption of cars in the United States made sense because Ford focused on very limited choices, very low prices for new cars, not a lot of worrying about the financing, marketing and stuff of used cars, not a lot of choices that way, all of that stuff that Jacob and us talked about on that podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so people should go and listen to the podcast and they did on the car companies and everything. But that's good. You can also read the um, – there's several books, but My Years with General Motors by Sloan is a really good one that way to understand that. But Ford is also put often put forward as the example of this huge, amazing success story and everything. But it should be remembered, GM did pass Ford, and Ford was ultimately the second in the United States pretty fast. Um, the thing that they had was successful for the mass adoption, fast growth part of it. But once there was a real used car market that developed and and skill and financing and marketing and stuff became important, the manufacturing ability of Ford, which was huge and a huge lead, didn't ultimately matter and was not the key to success. Mm-hmm. Can you look at a company like GM and think it's you know cheap at these levels? I mean, we're talking so point three price. I of sales have a lot of family members who worked at GM. I look at GM and see something that is hopeless of ever being yeah. reformed and turned around and stuff um i look at it it's like i look at french companies that are half owned by the government and stuff are some yeah. of them valuable yes mm-hmm. they have a hard time they're not like general dynamics and what happened there they have a hard time it takes them 20 years to do what other companies do in two years very bureaucratic um, yeah um so it has a lot of issues mm-hmm. um Having said that, yeah, by the numbers, it's 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 not bad. And there's several car companies that by the numbers look pretty impressive. Um, you know, and I can't knock. I mean, I can't say like, oh, General Motors is bad. I mean, when we compare it to other things that people, this is a really big company. If you think about the high prices, like take Boeing. Boeing's a good comp for this kind of thing. Big cap managers, what they get to choose from. Boeing is not shockingly cheap considering everything has gone wrong for them for a very long time. Uh, It's all based on expectations that things will get better that have never, that have never shown up in actual results yet. And based on that, you have to pay prices because it's such a big company and it's like the leader in the United States. So similar to like GM, like you don't, even when everything goes terribly for the company and there's no guarantee that things will get better, you still have to pay a very premium price for a company with a leadership position like that. So I can't knock GM as a stock or something because you have an opportunity to have a stock. It's one of the leaders in the United States in auto stuff. And it's been cheap only in the past before when it was like on the verge of bankruptcy and stuff. It hasn't been cheap as like a financially sound company. So, um, it's just hard to get bargains in everyone's trying to buy the bottom and bargain hunt and stuff in giant big cap stuff. So like I said, everything goes wrong that you can imagine at Boeing and still the stock it dropped, but it doesn't become a value stock because everyone has always dreamt of one day having Boeing cheap enough to buy, you know, mm-hmm. who manages that kind of money, you know? So what are your thoughts on Tesla? 
at these levels, though. I mean... <laughs> are they even a car company or are they a AI company? Like Elon No, says. they're a car company. <laughs> I think they have... I mean, that's the other thing that's interesting. You know, Quan and I did stuff on cars. And he went on to have a career in AI stuff. Get a thing in deep learning and whatever. Um, With cars. But, yeah, right? he did some work with cars. He's done other things, too. Yeah. But yes. Um, so... AI stuff. Um, it hasn't progressed as much as we thought. I mean, I'll just be honest. Like the improvement in self-driving cars is very bad compared to what we thought ten years ago. It was highly speculative ten years ago, so we didn't know. But we don't have exact data on it. It's hard to tell. We have a lot of anecdotal data and stuff. Um, it's expensive to insure a Tesla. The Earth. record of Tesla driving when it is operated not by a person is bad, but there's statistical issues with that. That's by miles driven and time and stuff like that. But there's statistical issues with that, which is that could be extremely marginal when we think it is extremely marginal use. So that what's happening is that if someone is in their most alert, best, safest driving state and stuff, they wouldn't do that, right? If Teslas were sold equally to all people who are equally safe drivers and operate the same way and everything with the technology, would it be as bad as it is? Probably not. People don't turn things over to a car to do it unless, A, they're a more dangerous driver, or B, they're not in a state where they're at their best driving anyway, right? Um, but yes, if you comp how it drives versus how people drive and stuff, it's not great. It doesn't look like what we thought it would look like after 10 years of research and stuff into it. It's not unique to Tesla. It's for all of them. I mean, a lot of AI stuff has not progressed at the pace that we thought it might. Um, in fact, we thought that sales of um i mean this has sort of happened we did think that the that desire for people to have electric vehicles and stuff might drive adoption of ai things that even if people weren't interested in um self-driving stuff that if it was something that was sold a lot with electric vehicles those two things some people would be interested in self-driving some people would be interested in electric things progress would be made on both and we would just see broader adoption of both of them and so when we tried to make predictions about internal combustion engine stuff versus others one thing we said is well if self-driving is popular and it's one of the positioning features to put into people's minds that electric and self-driving are both the future it helps you sell them together then you'll sell more of them even if that's not really what people want and so you could generate more sales for electric and so we should assume more electric sales than we would otherwise assume just looking at people choosing between them um, I mean, my honest opinion about the Tesla thing and stuff is like, you just, in terms of the math of it is, um, it's very similar to Ford, um, to me. So the problem that you have is you have to drive volume gains over time and you have to drive them in specific models and specific locations where you produce them to increase various economies of scale that you have. And that's why you're seeing the high profitability that you see at the company relative to other car companies, but that is based on pursuing an idea where you have probably higher growth in the number of people adopting it than I think was likely to happen. And in the early days, you were a very small part of the market, and so it didn't matter that much. The market didn't have to adopt. There not many more people in the market had to adopt stuff for you to double your sales. Now you're a very big part of it, and eventually there'll be an issue. So, um, the, you know, to accomplish the things that they want, they need volume increases. The thing is... Like, whether we're talking about railroads, whether we're talking about 
cruise companies, um, money transfer stuff, um, technology, things like Tesla or whatever, people have different ideas of like it's improvements in the technology and all these things that we got smarter at and that that accomplished it. And it's really not. It's doing a, selling more of doing the exact same thing by lowering our prices in real terms to stimulate volume ahead of time, knowing that stimulating volume ahead of time will drive it. it the difference between Tesla and Costco is less than people think. They both understand the same thing that we have a model where we can cut costs to stimulate volume because we have efficiencies when we stimulate volume, which lets us bring down our costs ahead of time. And if we do this fast enough, we'll get good results. That's thought of as a technology thing, as like technology brings down costs, but it's really large volume of doing the exact same thing that brings down costs. And it's also the reason why for years Western Union cut their prices every year. It's not a technology thing they understood that they would move more through the same network by doing that in a community um and so whether you're costco whether you're western union whether you're tesla in the growth growth phase of it that's what you're doing and at some point i would worry about that um in terms of the volumes and stuff that you're seeing i think people could believe because there is a difference the difference is Tesla has nice margins, but it has margins for the reason that I just said, as did Intel. Intel had nice margins for a while. People liked it. But you have to realize that if anything went wrong for Intel, that once it went wrong, it would lose its position as a leader in terms of profitability for that. Um, that will not happen at like um, Rolex or something. It can lose half its volume. It, can st it will still price at a premium price. So it's earnings will drop off, but it's operate, you know, it's margins are not going to go to nothing. I mean, operating margins may come down, but gross margins won't. There's a very high price champagne, a watch or whatever, um, is because of pricing ability. There's never been pricing ability at like these things. It's the ability to have lower costs to do the same thing over time. We're driven by the volume. Um, early on, I think that the brand had some appeal to people, but I, like we've said from the beginning, I think that gets exhausted by just there'll be too many of them around. Um, you can't have a premium type brand and have Teslas in every corner in in big cities and stuff. So that would just naturally cause that to go down. It's hard to do that both at the same time. Um, there are examples of cars that have really premium prices. I can't think of examples of cars that have premium prices and produce millions of units and stuff. You've got your supercar type stuff. The most I can think of in the United States, Porsche does that in the U.S., but still it's low production numbers compared to the kinds of things people are talking about with these kinds of stuff. It's still intentionally kept to a reasonable level um, of not overselling. Mm -hmm. Got it. So what are your predictions then? How does this all work itself out, this oversupply? Does it just take time? Prices have yeah, to come so, down? What do you expect? I mean, the good news is, look... It's still a fairly small part of the market. It's a lot bigger mm -hmm. than it used to be, but it's pretty small. And um, it's still something that people want to grow over time. Like still the numbers, even though I think the numbers aren't huge, I think there's still huge numbers of people who would eventually consider buying an electric car versus the number of people who have. So all you have to do is completely rein in production for a few years. And if you cut back huge on production, you'll get the two on an alignment, the two trajectories. Because what I'm saying is not that the actual genuine demand trajectory, if we could somehow find that and draw that curve, I don't think that that is um, the problem. I think the problem is that if we could figure out what supply should look like and what demand should look like, the actual amount of supply being put in and planned is so far beyond 
the growth in the demand. So it's not that demand isn't growing each year, it's that supply is growing way too fast. So the good news is, unlike when we talked about like a housing bust or something, right? With that, once you oversupplied for a while, it takes you a really long time to work through it because there's just not natural growth in that. What people, the number of houses need in 2023, 2024, 2025 is pretty much the same. But each year, more people will want electric vehicles. So if you can just go from overproducing them to providing a stable supply of them from one year to the next, you could really turn things around. You'd only have to do it for a few years. So a huge drop-off in production for a while could make the market um, totally feasible. I would guess terrible stock market and the stock market turning on electric vehicles and stuff is what would actually do it. Um, because I I don't know how much discipline there is for them to put production discipline on themselves unless they think that the market doesn't like them talking about electric vehicles. When when the market seems to like companies that say the words electric vehicles less in a transcript rather than more is when I think you'll actually see production get reined in. You know, so I don't know that Tesla's like the poster trail for this. I don't think it is. I actually think it's much more profitable than other things that try to do the same thing. It has a different strategy. It makes a lot more sense. I think it's what everyone will look at. And there's a few more speculative type things too, but things that are the most pure play is what people will look at for a gauge of like what the market wants and everything. So, because they can't tell exactly what the market is telling General Motors or Ford or something, they can comp a little bit. They can say, okay, Toyota really is trying not to be that big into electric vehicle stuff and is saying that it's important to have a mix of things and hybrid and all that. So they can comp like Toyota off of GM or something, but it's complicated. There's a lot of other things going on with those companies. So it's hard to have a clear signal. They can always say the multiples on Rivian and Tesla and stuff went up or down a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. About it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us on the Focus Compounding Podcast. This is the first time you're joining us. Be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening or watching us here today. If you're interested in learning about our money management services, you can reach out to me at andrewatfocuscompounding.com or go to our website, focuscompounding.com and click that invest with us tab uh, to start that process and learn more about that. I want to thank everybody so much for all the support and we will see you in the next podcast. Take care.